It's not uncommon for a child to become impatient with their age, to wish they were older, to want to be a big kid, or yearn for the freedom that we as adults often take for granted. But what does it mean when life imposes its will on a young person, and they're literally forced to grow up too fast? What happens during that process, and how does it affect everyone in a community? Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to Jones and Wolf, a monthly audio fiction podcast featuring original music. This month, a special guest and a brilliant writer, Sophia Aguilar, explores these themes and many more in her story, Never, Not Once. Enjoy. I wouldn't say Mateo and I were friends. We had grown up together, but so had everyone else in this town. Before everything went down at the end of summer with the cops, the flashing lights of red and blue, before my neighbors swapped gossip about the Gonzalez family over crates of cilantro and onions in the supermarket, Mateo was just another kid. We even played on the same little league team a few years back, before being in middle school made it uncool. He never said much then, or now, only raising his hand in class to ask for a bathroom pass and returning hellos with a nod and a small, uncertain smile. Everyone said he got it from his abuela, a quiet and unassuming old lady who worked at the library across the street from my house. His brother Antonio was the same, though he was older than Mateo by four years and it showed, or I guess it used to. At the funeral, that's what everyone noticed the most. Not the waxiness of Antonio's skin, but the wrinkles in his forehead and around his mouth and his eyes, even though he still had a year left before he graduated high school. I think people were almost glad his abuela had demanded an open casket so they could have something to gossip about over dinner. It was that kind of town, where things didn't really happen, but when they did, the newness of it stayed in the air for years. Afterward, at Mateo's house, kids played outside on the lawn, and adults spoke to each other in low, careful voices and sipped from plastic cups without spilling anything to the floor. When are we leaving? I whispered to my mom for the thousandth time as I pulled on the elbow of her dress. She was talking to someone, but I didn't care. She smiled through gritted teeth, didn't bother to look at me. When I say so, go talk to your father. I was so bored I wanted to kick a wall. I was too old to play outside, but too young to be interested in anything the adults were talking about. I wished, suddenly, that I could just grow up a little faster already. I turned and saw Mateo sitting alone on the couch near the window. With no one else to talk to, I sank into the cushions next to him and watched him kick his sneakers back and forth against the couch. Hey. When he nodded, his dark hair caught the light, revealing flecks of gray near his ears that looked too big for his head, as though he had yet to grow into them. You okay? He hesitated for a moment, then nodded again. I pointed towards his arm. What's that? Mateo had been fiddling with the cuffs of his jacket for the past minute, 
which I was surprised he was still wearing considering the fact that his abuela never turned the AC on. The moment before, Mateo had pulled his sleeve back far enough to reveal a large red mark on his wrist, as if someone had slapped him. He flinched and pulled his sleeve over his hand. Nothing, he said. I shrugged. Already out of things to say, I looked around as though another question would come to me when Mateo's abuela marched up in her ratty old chanclas instead of the tiny black heels she'd been wearing at the church. Mateo, kitchen, now, she whispered, so that no one but me could hear. She smiled at me, the way she did every time she saw me stumble up the steps of the only library in town where she worked. A small smile, but warm. Hola, senora. Lo siento, mijo. She turned to Mateo again, and her smile faded into a frown as she grabbed his wrist. Andale, Mateo. When they had gone, I peered behind me, huffing when I saw my mom still chatting animately while my dad loosened his tie and accepted another drink from the person next to him. Seeing all this, I decided to go find a bathroom to hide in until there was time to go. But as I passed the kitchen, I caught Mateo's abuela's voice, hard and unforgiving enough to make me pause. And another stain on one of my best dishes, she snapped, like a stick that had broken in half. What do I have to do to make you clean things properly? I'm sorry, abuela. I never heard him sound so afraid. It's just terrible, my mom said later, as she spooned rice and beans onto my plate for dinner that night. She clucked her tongue like a mother hen and continued. I heard his abuela didn't even recognize the body. Poor woman. My dad shook his head and picked at his plate. Ay, Dios mío, Olivia, can't we not tonight? We just left the boy's funeral after all. But didn't you hear what they're saying? Why he did it? Mom, I interrupted with my cheeks full of food. Can I leave? I need a drink, my dad grunted and stood up to leave the table. My mom shook her head and continued eating as though I hadn't said anything. Mateo didn't come back to school for a week. When he eventually made another appearance, I noticed the gray in his hair was already spreading to the back of his head, like spilled water on a countertop. I leaned over to his desk. Did you dye your hair? My mom does the same thing. Did you have to sit under one of those helmets? No. No, I didn't. He stared at the floor. Didn't what? But he only shook his head. One morning as I was walking to school, I saw him at the coin laundromat shoving clothes into a couple of the washing machines. I frowned and made my way over. Hey, I said as I walked in. Mateo jumped and straightened when he saw me. Oh, hey. Wasn't he supposed to be in school? Wouldn't he get in trouble for skipping, I wondered? But when I asked him this, he only shook his head and went back to work, sorting clothes by colors, snapping machine doors clothes, filling plastic drawers with detergent. It was only then that I noticed his hands, curved and gnarled, his nails thickening and yellowing. You okay? Fine, he said. 
Several days later, when I saw his veins popping out of his skin and his eyes bloodshot and rimmed with red, I decided to follow Mateo after school. I didn't know why exactly, just that something wasn't right. He didn't go straight home, but to the grocery store. I hid behind a car in the parking lot, straightening when he emerged half an hour later, weighed down with several shopping bags hanging from his skinny little arms. I felt like I was playing a game I would have played in elementary school, like I was a detective or a spy dressed only in black as I walked on the opposite side of the street from Mateo. I held my nose when I wanted to sneeze and only walked on my tiptoes so that he couldn't hear my footsteps. After he shuffled up the driveway, unlocked the door to his house and went inside, I crouched and ran to hide in his abuela's flower bushes growing under the window. Even through the glass, I could hear her voice. And where have you been? Suddenly, a loud slap. Her hand against a table, I guess. A pause. And Mateo's reply that pushed his words together so tightly I couldn't distinguish one from another. I, you're just like your brother. He was lazy and stupid too. Never came home on time, always talked back, never respected me. Me, the woman who raised and fed you both after your good for nothing parents dropped you on my doorstep and ran off to Mexico. Her voice lowered into a dangerous murmur. my stomach tight and clenched with fear and I wondered then if his abuela was really who we all thought she was. Now go start dinner. I'm starving and you better not burn it, she said. When I got home, I couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't eat or say a word. But luckily, my parents didn't seem to notice. At mass the next day, I barely recognized Mateo. His head shrunk into his shoulders and his whole body bent over like the curve of the moon. He looked so strange, carrying a cane and wearing his sneakers, a baseball cap, and a sweatshirt several sizes too big. I couldn't pay attention to the priest or focus on the hymns, but instead hurried out of the church during prayer and emptied my lunch all over the front steps. Mijo, you okay? My mom said on the drive home. She asked the question the way adults did, not really meaning it, only asking out of habit. My dad grunted in his seat. He's fine. Probably just a little tired, eh? I leaned my head against the window. Yeah, just tired. When we got home, the landline in the kitchen was ringing. It stopped, then rang again. My dad frowned. No one ever used the landline anymore. Hello, he said into the receiver. A few seconds passed, and he glanced at me. It's for you. Can you meet me at the park, Mateo said, before I had even pressed the receiver fully against my ear. His voice was the only thing that hadn't changed, if just a little sadder. 
by the lake? How'd you get my number? The phone book. The what? Please, he said, his voice insistent. And my dad had flopped onto the sofa in front of the TV. Why? Mateo said nothing, just breathed static into the phone. I didn't want to see him again, but I also didn't have anything else to do. Okay, I said. Neither of my parents stopped me as I left the house. I even left the door open, thinking one of them would, if not run after me, at least call out my name. But all I heard on the way to the park was silence, punctured every once in a while by crickets. When I found him, Mateo was sitting cross-legged on the grass growing around the lake, holding his head in his hands. He nodded as I sat a few inches away. We sat without saying a word for several minutes until my leg began to jiggle with impatience. Mateo, it's cold. As if in response, Mateo shuddered and took off his baseball cap with trembling, curved fingers. I nearly vomited again at the sight of the top of his head. A bald spot the size of a tennis ball. I stood up to leave when his voice, laced with accusation, stopped me. You followed me home, didn't you? I turned and shoved my hands into my pockets. So what? You know I have no one else. Cause your abuela's crazy. She cares, he said, his voice hardening, I knew, to hide the fact that he didn't believe it. Admittedly, I couldn't remember if my parents ever did, but they didn't do a lot of things that they should've. Mateo put his lip and stared at the laces of his sneakers for several moments. Never, he said, not once. I shivered and sat down beside him again. Your brother, he got old too? He nodded and gazed out to the lake. He said he didn't know what else to do. I remembered it was all over the news, how horror and fascination mixed together on my mom's face as she leaned closer to the TV. The way my dad kept telling her to turn it off. Ay Dios mío, Olivia, he scolded, made no move to stop her. The almost disappointment in my mom's voice several days later when they realized Antonio had gone to the lake on his own, that no one had pushed him in but himself. Just terrible, she had muttered before returning to her magazine. You could leave, I said to Mateo now. And go where? You could tell someone? Who would believe me? I wanted to argue, but kept silent. I remembered the smile his abuela had given me before, after the funeral, and wondered how I hadn't known it wasn't real. Mateo struggled to his feet, leaning his weight against his cane. I said his name, but he didn't turn. He slipped off his shoes and began to walk towards the lake, each step a burden and every breath a wheeze, a rattling, as if he had marbles in his chest.
I said his name louder this time. I remembered my mom, the way she leaned forward with a secret in her eyes. But didn't you hear what they're saying? Why he did it? I jumped to my feet and grabbed Mateo's arm before his bare, gnarled feet could touch the water. I couldn't read his face as he turned to stare at me. Gratitude, maybe, but regret and anger and resentment too for not pushing him in or pulling him back. Maybe I was too young to understand it then, how terrible and strange it all really was. Do you miss him? For the first time, Mateo seemed to smile. Or maybe I was just seeing things. Wouldn't you? Next morning on my way to school, I spotted Mateo in the laundromat again. He moved in slow, careful movements. His back curved like a branch bent to the will of the wind, and crow's feet carved into the skin outside his eyes, visible even from outside. How little I now wish I could grow up already, but grow down instead. Without a word, I walked in, set my backpack on the dusty tiled floor, and stood beside him in front of the wall of washing machines. We didn't speak as we sorted clothes in the piles by color, filled plastic drawers with detergent, inserted quarters like we were playing an arcade game, sat in hardback chairs with nothing else to do but watch the clothes swirl round and round and round. Never, Not Once, was written and narrated by Sofia Aguilar. The music was done by Joel Wolfe. A special thanks to Sofia for sharing her wonderful story with us. If you enjoyed this story and you'd like to learn more about Sofia, please visit sofiaaguilar.com. That's S-O-F-I-A-A-G-U-I-L-A-R.com. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with Joel and I, you can reach us at jonesandwolf at gmail.com. We'll be back soon with another story. Until then, my friends, thanks for listening.